Animated Journey, a podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger, and with me today is Jeff Schutze. How are you, Jeff? I'm good, Angela. How are you? I'm doing very well, and we always like to start off with different things happening in the week and such. So first up, the Oscars. Yeah. Yeah, so I know that you watched it. I did. I was very, very busy and had to completely skip it. So how was it? (laughs) It was enjoyable to watch, but it wasn't, I can't say it was exciting. Pretty much everything you thought was going to win, won, including Best Animated Feature. So Coco won, and we kind of figured that. We called that one. Yeah, we called that, yeah. And we didn't need to be psychics. The lowest stakes bet in the history of all bets was Coco winning. I heard that things went well with the Oscars, that there were no mishaps. I also heard that Guillermo del Toro when he won for Best Picture, went up and double-checked to make sure oh. <laughs> that it was actually his movie and his I didn't name. notice that. I heard that he did that to make sure it wasn't a Moonlight, <laughs> La La Land situation, which I thought was pretty great. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. And, yeah, I thought Jimmy Kimmel did a great job hosting. It was, yeah. I wanted Three Billboards to win, but I'm happy for Guillermo del Toro that Shape of Water won. I thought it was a good movie, so... But no surprises. No surprises there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Francis McDormand won, I heard. And Sam Rockwell won. Yeah. And Get Out won for Best Screenplay. Right. Which makes me very happy. Yeah. That yeah. was awesome. All right. And then what is going on in the world of animation as far as Southern California animation events? There's a lot of really good things happening in the month of March. Uh, CIFA Hollywood is having a special preview screening of Muppet Babies on Tuesday, March 20th. It's going to be over at ABC and there's a Q&A following it, which will include Tom Warburton, who many of you animation fans out there will know is the creator of Codename Kids Next Door. So he will be there along with several other members of the crew. Door is open at 6.30. It's for CIFA members only. And I can vouch for this. CIFA is a great organization. I love being a part of it. So if you're not a member, sign up and then sign up to go to the preview screening of Muppet Babies. What do you think about the new one? Have you seen anything about it? Any I of the trailers? Haven't. No. How does it look? I've only seen the designs and they are very, very cute. Okay. So I have high hopes because it's Muppet Babies. So I think kids will like it. Were you into Muppet Babies, the cartoon? I loved Muppet Babies. Okay. <laughs> I loved Muppet Babies. Oh, wow. Okay. So much. <laughs> so, so much. I absolutely adored that show. And one of the best episodes ever is they're trying to convince Scooter which types of dance are better. Mm-hmm. And so Miss Piggy is saying that dance should be beautiful. And then Skeeter's saying dance should be fun. And they keep going, beautiful, beautiful, fun, fun. <laughs> and then at the end, Scooter goes, dance can be beautiful and fun. <laughs> and I remember seeing that as a kid going, dance is both beautiful and fun. So... <laughs> It had a very lasting impact. That's awesome. It doesn't have to be either or. It can no, be both. It can be both. It's great. Just like the newest iteration of the show. All right. It too can be fun and beautiful. Cool. So looking forward to that. Next up at Center Stage Gallery, you can meet the visual development artists for Loving Vincent, which was the wonderful animated film that came out last year. They're going to feature Charlene Mosley and Tiffany Meng. There's going to be a live demo with an auction. It's on Saturday March 31st at 1 p.m. It's $10 online, and there's a raffle for prizes. 
And then finally, over at Gallery Nucleus, they're having the Art of Google Spotlight. They're having an opening reception on April 7th at 7 p.m. There's going to be a book launch, a signing party, refreshments. You'll be able to meet the creators behind the Google Spotlight stories. And admission is free. Mm. So if you want to try out some really cool VR and get books signed and get free snacks and meet awesome people, check it out. Yeah, that sounds cool. Mm -hmm. Have you seen any of the Google Spotlight stories? I haven't. Jorge Gutierrez did one called Son of Jaguar. It's great. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. I did see that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I don't know if he's going to be there or not, hopefully. But if he is, you should go and talk to him, you guys, because he's really, really nice. He's a really nice person. Yeah, he's cool. So what have you been watching lately, Jeff? Okay, well, as you know, I was sick last week, so I got a lot of TV watching done. (laughs) (laughs) You completed your task. Yes. So first off, I saw The Breadwinner. Oh, good. What did you think about it? I loved it. It was so good. The animation was beautiful. The story was inspiring. You run through so many emotions watching it. You get frustrated. You get angry. Parts of it are funny. You know, you're laughing, but it's kind of an important film that people should check out. And now that it's on Netflix, everybody should watch this movie. I agree with you what you said on this podcast that I think you were leaning toward that as your best animated feature yes. for the Oscars. I am agreeing with you. I think that probably would have gotten my vote. Not that Coco was bad, but this really blew me away. I loved it. So I saw that, and then I saw some stuff that wasn't as highbrow as I <laughs> So I watched a lot of We Bear Bears. Oh, I love We Bear Bears. Yeah, because I just had a bunch on my DVR and it was playing. And it's just a nice show to watch when you're sick, too, because it's just, oh, they're so cute. And they get into little adventures. It's great. Who's your favorite bear? Ice Bear. Oh, nice. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. But Bobby Monaghan does such a good job with Panda. Whenever I see or hear him on SNL or whatever he's doing, I hear Panda now. I love Panda. Panda's my favorite because he's so sweet and you just want to give him a hug. Yeah, yeah. So cute. So I watched that and then I was watching a lot of Crunchyroll. I caught up to the third season of Food Wars. So I liked the second season. I didn't think it was as strong as the first season, but I thought it ended strong and now I'm really excited to go into the third plate of Food Wars. And then I started Citrus, which... I'm still on the fence about. It's okay. I watched the first nine episodes. I think the 10th just came out this week. And then I've been catching up on Star Wars Rebels because the finale just aired recently. So trying to get caught up on that. And so I'm going to have to stay offline out of the Star Wars Rebels Reddits because I don't want it to be spoiled. Yeah, good call. yeah. Yeah, whenever there's shows I want to watch, I just ignore the internet. But I'm enjoying the season a lot. I'm... It's very strong so far, and I'm only probably four or five episodes into it. Yeah, I'm pretty far behind with that one, Mm -hmm. so hopefully we'll be able to catch up at another time. But yeah, that's about it. How about you? Have you been watching anything? I saw Shape of Water. (gasps) What did you think? I did not care for it, which shocked me because I love Hellboy and Hellboy 2. Mm -hmm. Absolutely adore Pan's Labyrinth. I think uh, that movie one of the best. was yeah. amazing. I own that movie. That movie is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Haven't seen Crimson Peak. Mm. I've yeah. heard 
mixed things. I'm interested I'm in seeing this, yeah. it, just I, visually, costume-wise, and acting-wise, because I like to all that stuff. It. Great. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've heard that the twist is a little, eh, but I'm, I'm curious. But Shape of Water, I had a couple issues with it. Mainly, I have no problem with the fact that she falls in love with essentially a merman, which you can tell from the poster. I, I yeah. was looking forward to that, but it seemed very one-sided. Yes. It felt more like she's falling in love with him, which is great, mm-hmm. and he's looking at her going, oh, a friend who provides me with food. Damn. So it, it was more like you're my buddy or I'm your pet kind of situation. Mm -hmm. As one of my coworkers mentioned, it was like, oh, it's kind of like she has this sentient goldfish. Yeah. And I found that upsetting because then she's basically making passes at him, which, you know, if he's accepting of that of his own accord, then that's fine. But it kind of was this borderline, I don't know if he quite understands what's going on. And that... Kind of upset me a little bit. I'm thinking, does mm-hmm. he understand what you're about to do? Because if not, this is very deeply upsetting for him and not okay. So that was weird. And then there were other scenes that I just thought were unnecessary and gross, and we won't mm-hmm. need to get into them on the site, but anyone who's seen the movie, you guys know what I'm talking about. And so, eh, there were just certain things about it that I just found very off-putting. But mm-hmm. I did find that the acting was very good. Mm-hmm. And I don't know his name, but I really like the man who played her neighbor. Oh, yeah. He was my... The man who played her neighbor and the scientist mm-hmm. oh, were both great two actors, of my yeah. favorite, favorite people. And I felt really bad for her neighbor. <laughs> so I liked them a lot. But I get why people like the movie. Mm-hmm. I liked Three Billboards better. I thought Three Billboards was a better movie. I yep. thought Get Out was a better movie. Yes. So I'm glad they all won something. And I believe that Guillermo del Toro deserves a lot of accolades and respect because he's quite good. It's mm-hmm. just this wasn't the one for me personally. Yeah, I'm yeah. actually happy to hear that from you. Because I thought, am I dead inside? Oh, no. <laughs> is, is my heart dead? <laughs> Your heart shrunk three sizes Yes, <laughs> because I didn't get the romance. I did not feel like this was a romantic movie. I felt the same way, that it was a very one-sided relationship. Mm-hmm. And I love Guillermo del Toro. I think his Spanish-language movies are... They're some of my favorite movies. I love Kronos. I love Devil's Backbone. Pan's Labyrinth is great. His American... His English-language movies, I'm, I haven't been as big a fan of. I did like the original Hellboy. I wasn't a big fan of Pacific Rim... Even though giant robots fighting <laughs> giant monsters, that's like my jam. Mm-hmm. But that one left me cold too. So yeah, I thought it was a beautiful, it was beautifully shot and it looked beautiful. The art direction was great. I thought almost everything about it except kind of the script and the relationships, which are very important, just didn't hit me right. Yeah. And so it wasn't my pick for best picture, definitely. Mm-hmm. But visually speaking, like costume design, mm-hmm. set design, cinematography, yeah. oh, that was great. Oh, yeah. So I liked how it looked. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought the look of it was really good. So, yeah. yeah, that's how we felt about that. But then I also saw Voltron Season 5. Nice. That's great. Okay. Voltron continues to be very impressive. I like it a lot. I'm very much looking forward to Season 6. And cool. I also saw Dragons Race to the Edge Season 6, oh, okay. which is pretty good. 
I think that series has improved because the first season I thought, eh, it's okay. But I think it's gotten really good and really interesting. And it's just a fun continuing saga of Hiccup and everyone. Actually, I think the strongest performances are Rough Nut and Tough Nut. Mm. They've become very interesting and funny and weird. Hmm. So I think they're my favorite characters in that series. Mm, okay. Have you seen that show? I haven't seen the show, but the two movies I love, especially mm-hmm. the first movie, was it's one of my favorite animated movies. I yeah, love it. Yeah. That's cool. And now on to our main event, which mm. we're really happy for our next episode because we got to interview someone that we've been wanting to talk to for a while, and that is Chris Wimberly. Mm-hmm. And Chris is a fantastic storyboard artist. He's been working as a storyboard artist for over a decade, and he is also the founder and host of the Animation Network, which is a fantastic podcast, and they do a lot of really cool mixers, which is where you and I re-met, mm-hmm. we first met at a comic convention, and then Chris had his mixer and was like, hey, I know you, <laughs> we've met before, so... Chris is just an awesome guy, and we just had a really good interview getting to talk to him about his career and his life and, you know, some of the things he wants to do and why he did the Animation Network and some of his later plans. How Mm -hmm. did you feel about it? I loved it. I loved every minute of it. It was so great. I mean, we both love him. And, you know, after our conversation with him, I think I love him even more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's so great. He gave such direct honest answers i mean he's such a pro you know you can tell he's been doing podcasts for a long time and Mm -hmm. he's been in the industry for a long time but yeah i think fans of the animation network will dig this episode as well because you know we get into some of the history of the animation network and we get kind of some hints as to what might have happened in the future had the podcast gone on so yeah i think it was really fun interview All right, you guys. So we're really excited to bring this to you, and we know that you'll enjoy listening to it. So without further ado, we present episode 66, Interview with Chris Wimberly. My guest today is Chris Wimberly, and all of y'all know Chris. He is a storyboard artist. He is the head of the Animation Network. He's a very good friend of ours. We're very happy to have him here. Chris, thank you so much for being on the show today. You are very welcome, and thank you for such a flattering intro. I don't think everybody knows who I am, but I like that you Everybody start. knows. Yes, but I'm glad you started out with that. That's a little confidence boost. Also, I find that anytime people introduce me, I get this stupid grin on my face. Like, like it sounds like you're going to announce somebody magical, and I'm like, wow, who are they talking about? And then it's me, and I'm like, oh, what? That's, yeah. But so thank you. That's very nice of you. We should have taken a picture of your face during that moment. Did you see my grin? Did you yeah, see I me did. smiling? Yeah. yeah. It, it, I'm like, wow, it sounds so good. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. No, it's just mm-hmm. me. Yeah. So now you're on the, the other side of the mic. But as you've been many other times before, though, on various other podcast interviews, including your own, which is very good. So usually I start off with origin stories. But those who listen to your show, which if you haven't listened to Chris's show yet, you really need to. You're on episode five. You talk about your origins, how you got started in the industry. It's fantastic stuff. You can listen to that. Instead, what we wanted to talk to you about is how you're doing now. Because as you announced, 
on your show. The Animation Network is coming to its end with episode right. 100. You guys have done a phenomenal job with Thank your you. entire team, which has been really good. Thank now you. you're working in feature, which is amazing. Yeah. So we wanted just to dive into that. So one okay. of my biggest questions for you is just how, and it was kind of an all-encompassing thing, but how do you feel you've changed since doing <laughs> the Animation Network? Like, how have you grown yeah. as a person? Uh, I am now full two inches shorter, thanks to the podcast. No, I mean, it's a lot of work, as you very clearly know, and as Jeff's finding out, it's very, very demanding. But I think that leads directly into the first thing that I've learned, which is how much I can handle on my plate, and maybe just as important, how much I cannot handle. And I think that's a really important thing that people have to learn, not just in a big life lesson way, but in a very like introspective way, to be honest with themselves about maybe I can't do all this stuff and that's okay. So as you mentioned, I have a fantastic team that's been extremely helpful, extremely supportive and just on fire for the animation network. So they brought just amazing things to it that I tell them repeatedly I could not have done by myself. I know I couldn't. I tell anybody I get a chance to that will listen. I couldn't do it by myself. And so learning that has been pretty major. So that's one thing. Yeah. Excellent. And then let's talk about the team. So Tiara and Jeff and Cassie, mm -hmm. wonderful people. How did you know these are the people that should be mm. on my team? Because I, there's a lot of different people, you know, that are out there. They're doing good work. But how are yeah. you able to figure out these folks in particular? Man, that is a good question. Mm -hmm. um, very good question. So, yeah, first of all, I feel it's pretty important to mention that, yes, Tiara, Jeff, and Cassie, Cassie was, she came on first, followed by Tiara, followed by Jeff. They are the three that are out in front as much as I am. There are a couple other people behind the table that don't have their face plastered everywhere that do just as much help, which has been just as helpful. And thanks to them too, but they, given some of their jobs in the industry, it's important that they don't have their secret identities shared. So I do want to say that the core team, which you named, does a great job. There's a couple other people too, and they do just as amazing. But to answer your question, how do I pick any of them? You know, I just had this conversation the other day at lunch with somebody. Hopefully he's listening to this, but it was one of the best lunches I've had in a long time. Full of great questions, starting his own kind of animation-centric community building thing and he asks a very similar question and I think one of the things that I made sure to do is not just take anybody's help who offered it to me because a lot of people are like anything you need man you let me know I'm there for you I'll do whatever you blah 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 which is very flattering and very tempting to just be like oh yes thank god please come take this here let me hand you that mm -hmm. but you can't do that i think if you want to have a successful anything doesn't matter if it's a product and you need to have a tight brand or i mean even this in a sense is a brand right so you have to be a little bit more aware and in tune with exactly what your needs are like we kind of just talked about a few minutes ago but i think the other thing too is you have to understand what's important to that person so that you can deliver that thing i think far too often people especially the ones who used to offer me help with things yeah, man, I'll help you with whatever you need, blah, 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 which is great. But I think what's important to that person a lot of times is either maybe having something to do because they have a lot of free time and they just want to be 
doing something creative and fun, but maybe not their own thing because that's a lot of work and a lot of investment, whatever. Another type of person might be wanting to help because they just, you know, feel like it's a great way for them to make connections to other people in the industry. And I know that that was some of the people who offered help because they were like hearing these really amazing people on my podcast. They're like, I just want to get close to that person. Mm -hmm. So if I'm part of the animation network, that'll put me close to that person. And a third type of person is somebody who believes in the product itself. Maybe not even in Chris Wimberly, but in the animation network. Those are already the people who light up my attention because they understand what the brand is. If you guys remember, I don't know if you guys were listening the whole time to my podcast, but if you listened as far back as like season one and mostly season two. Oh, you did? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, thanks for listening so long. (laughs) Um, If you remember way back in season one, you couldn't find any pictures of me. My face was not, it wasn't the animation network with Chris Wimberly. It wasn't my face on the flyers and on the podcast thing and everywhere. Like it wasn't about me. It was about the brand. I just wanted people to have this information, this education and to better themselves and have a better adventure. So the people who I ended up taking on to help with whatever my needs were, were people that were passionate about the animation network brand. I love what you're doing. This makes so much sense to me. I can't believe this hasn't existed yet. I love the way you deliver the information. Like they're about, what I was doing and not the other stuff. Not to say that the other stuff is wrong, right? That Mm -hmm. everybody's got, in fact, this leads to the next thing to answer your question further. Once I knew why they were even in this to begin with, then I sat down, you can ask every single one of them. I sat down and I asked them, what is important to you? What do you want? At your most selfish, what is it that you want to gain from this experience? Partially because I know that I'm not paying them anything, or at least I wasn't. And then you know I started paying them. But initially it was just kind of a volunteer thing. So I needed to find out why exactly. So I already knew why they wanted to join the animation network. But now what is it that drives them when they go home? What are they doing there? Some people wanted to become a better artist. I'm like, I can review your portfolio to no end. And some of you, Jeff, you know, mm-hmm. like I am a very truthful critiquer and people's work I feel... <laughs> Thank you. I mean, there's a reason why we've helped tons of people get jobs. You know what I mean? So that was something I knew I could provide in lieu of payment, right? It was that little bit extra I could give them. Some of them was, you know, they wanted more experience dealing with people face to face and becoming a public speaker or whatever the case is. So that, no problem. I can help with that. That's a piece of cake. So identifying what's important to those people at their most selfish allows me to find a crossroads where I'm getting what I need and they're getting what they need. And that keeps everybody happy and motivated because otherwise it's very one-sided or at least becomes lopsided. And then I think that's when things, partnerships start to crumble and things get kind of weird and yucky. But the best part is when I took those people out to lunch and that was another thing. It wasn't through email. It wasn't through, it was very personal face-to-face. Sat them down actually with Cassie. Like we both worked at Disney TV at the time and we took like a walk, you know, there's like a little walking track. We took a loop and I'm like probing her trying to find out like, what is she doing? What's going on? Cause I already knew she was valuable and I knew what she could do. So having that conversation with her allowed me to discover 
if she was going to be the right fit and then told her what I'm looking for, gave her very clear vision of what it was. And that's ultimately what convinced her was that the fact that we put everything on the table from both sides right at the beginning. So there's no like hidden agendas. There's no like, oh, I forgot to tell you this or this is, by the way, part of your job and responsibilities will be this. And the person's like, that's not what I signed up for. (laughs) You know, all these kinds of things. So I did that with each and every person. So it's kind of weird to say that there was like a hiring process with air quotes around that. But there was, even though it was an unpaid voluntary, let's just do something for the animation community type thing. And I think the proof is everything that you said that the network turned out to be. So that was kind of it. I don't know. Was that long winded enough? No, that was that was was wonderful. And I liked what you said about essentially vetting people because you Mm -hmm. knew it wasn't that these weren't good people. It was Mm -hmm. you needed to know their motivation and if they were going to be a good fit for what you were doing. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a personal, if I don't choose you, it means we're not friends or anything like that. Yes, it was, oh, absolutely. This is important. Yeah, that I'm glad you brought that up because that is so true that like I felt bad to turn some people down because I would hope that they didn't take it personally and being as busy doing all this stuff as you know, like you have to just keep moving forward. In the back of your mind, you're like, damn, I hope that person didn't think I snubbed them or think that they're not good enough to do this free thing that I'm doing on my spare, like it's a yeah. hobby. But yeah, I definitely don't don't think there's anything wrong with those other types of people that I said are out there that I didn't ask to join me because I do understand all of those motivations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think if the podcast had continued that you would have brought more people on, especially with Jeff leaving? Yeah, spoiler alert, because <laughs> we do talk about Jeff leaving and put people, I don't think we've talked about that. We haven't talked about it on Animation Network, right? It's just because you know Jeff. Right. Yeah. So we, thanks for talked, ruining we talked, that. We've talked about it. Yeah. We can cut this out. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm totally kidding. No, like two weeks mm. ago, we were just like, Jeff's good and we miss him and it's yeah. sad. Yeah. It was really sad. Uh, so that's a really good question. I, I want to say yes, because I love changing of the guard. Okay, so here's kind of like a peek behind the curtain that I never, only a handful of people know about this. Obviously, everybody on the Animation Network knows about this, but I was actually grooming Tiara to take over the podcast a season and a half ago. And so when we thought there was going to be a season six, it would have been her voice on the intro. It would have been her doing the whole thing because I do believe in a changing of the guard. I believe in keeping things fresh. And I also believe that at a certain point, and if you haven't found this out yet, you will, At a certain point, you're no longer the hip, cool voice. You are now like everybody's parent, right? So they hear your advice and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, my teacher told me that too. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, portfolio, yeah, CTN, I get it. But then when they hear somebody else on the podcast, they're like, whoa, that's like exactly, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's the answer I've been searching for, even though you've told them 25 times, you know? And I found early, I'm really good at projecting and I kind of have a really good sense of mass psychology. Like I can see where trends are going. And I knew that eventually I was gonna become that person and it did start to happen just like I thought it would. So before it started to happen, I knew, okay, probably three or four seasons of this, of my voice, 
voice as the primary voice and then it's got to be somebody else and i felt like tiara was exactly like when i interviewed her for her first episode when she was just a guest i was like this is my replacement I knew exactly. I was like, wow. this is the person who's going to. And what's funny, too, is if you listen to some of her earlier stuff and listen to it now, like you could hear her like she's totally blossomed, like matured over the microphone, like to where she's joking with people, super confident and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I knew that was in her. And so I was like, that's the voice I felt like would be refreshing for people to hear after, you know, four or five whatever seasons of me droning on and on with this <laughs> with this monotone voice. So um, and it worked out like people like we get fan mail about her episodes and stuff, which is I mean, I, I don't want to sound like that guy, but I knew it. I knew that we would get that response. And it's very rewarding to um, have that happen that way. But to go back to your initial question, I absolutely can see that we would have additional people and or replacement people as we went along. But I think it's naturally like this is the right time to end it all anyway. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. And that is a lot of foresight because I think of companies that don't plan for that. Mm-hmm. And I've worked at companies that don't plan for that, where the president leaves or the director leaves or someone leaves. And then all of a sudden the Shocking. board realizes, oh, wait, we haven't been training anyone. Yep. And now there's this vacuum of power. We don't know what to do. And how does that look to everybody else? Because people aren't fools. Like anybody can see what's going on there. And I think some people in places and companies handle it better. And, you know, for what it's worth, I just tried to be as mindful of that the whole time. Okay. What are some things that working on the podcast has been a surprise to you, either coming from people that listen to it, who have told you things where you go, oh, I never thought about that, or just doing the work itself? Somebody named their firstborn after me. Um, full name, <laughs> Chris Wimberly. Oh, no, I'm wow. just, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> oh, no way. <laughs> the look on, yeah, the look like, on your what? faces was everything I wanted. Was, oh, yeah, that was perfect. Okay. No, wow. no, no, nothing. But there have been some really amazing things, actually. Um, I plan to discuss some of them on the last episode or as we get toward the end. So what can I tell you that I'm not saving? I mean, we get very, very flattering emails, things where people tell us sometimes slightly too personal of things where it's like, I mean, thank you for trusting us and thank you for feeling like we are part of your life and your journey and et cetera, et cetera. But some stuff it's like, mm, I don't know if I really need to know that. I mean, <laughs> what am I going to do with that information? It's, it, it crosses this border of feeling like, wow, I really helped somebody to being like, should I call somebody for you? Like, oh, wow. that's it's just it, not, not that anybody's going to commit suicide or anything, but it's just like, you know, I think some of these fans letters are very inspiring to read because everything that I set out to do with the animation network with the podcast and the newsletter and the YouTube channel etc etc I think it's working because people tell us because of you I got this internship because of you I got my big break in animation because of you I figured out how to cross from production to creative or because of you I figured out how to go from graphic design to animation like cross industries we have lots of people where they directly attribute like because of you I knew what to say in that interview and I because of you, I knew whatever question they asked or whatever thing came out of their mouth during the interview, they saw the moment on that person's face where they knew they had the job. What's more rewarding than that, other than them cutting me 10% of their paycheck? <laughs> um, That'd be nice. But, yeah, it would be nice. Um, 
but that is extremely rewarding. I mean, if you listen to uh, Francis's episode, The Background Painter, he talks about how him and his wonderful partner, girlfriend, Jessica, they moved across the country because of the podcast. And we bumped into each other at a art gallery. Did you guys go to that Nickelodeon? Weren't yeah. you there? You were there. Yeah. Yeah, the one over at Fullerton. Yeah. So yeah, mm-hmm. that one. And Francis like tapped me on the shoulder to get my attention. And they were like, ah, oh, like they were freaking out like I was celebrity or something, which again, is very flattering. But they told me that, you know, we picked up and we moved because we realized from all the stories and all of the insight that we had the confidence to like come out here and just try. And they used everything that they learned and some more stuff that they learned from besides I'm not taking all the credit because obviously people build their experiences through various channels. But the things that they do say is they specifically say because of you dot dot dot. And that's pretty awesome. And by the way, to finish that story, Francis is now officially, and Jessica, officially in the industry. They're in the system. They're making money, making art, you know? Nice. So. That's cool. That was wonderful. And that actually brings me to my next question, too. So you've talked about this before on the show, but I want to know if we could get into more depth. Based on the people that you've talked to and the experiences that you have and they've gleaned, what are some things that like schools still aren't teaching or that people still don't seem to know that you keep hearing it and you're going, all right, this piece is still missing here. Well, with fairness to the school systems, they can only teach so much. They only have that pupil for a limited amount of time. And to top that off, there's not just that one pupil. There's hundreds, right? Per school, Mm -hmm. per state, per country. There's no shortage of art schools and people wanting to get into the industry. So having said that, I understand that they can't teach everything, but that is exactly why. That is the genesis of the animation network is because I knew that there needed to be some supplement to what people were learning in school because I wanted that and I was looking for that, which like you said, it's, you know, I've explained that multiple times on other episodes of either my podcast or somebody else's. But I think some of the things that's very hard to teach is effective networking strategies, right? Which is why I called my show The Animation Network because it's a pun on the word network. It's networking as in the community, but it's also network because we only focus on network animation, which means TV animation. We don't talk about movies, we don't talk about video games or any of that stuff, which is all by design. But the challenge with teaching networking in schools is that there's so many different types of people, or I guess I should say, People have very different personality quirks that allow them to network similarly to others and not at all like others, right? Some people are very introvert, right? Some people are very, they can get up and talk, no problem, whatever. Some people need a few drinks to get going at a network event. You know, there's all kinds of different people. So I think while it could be taught better, it's very hard to try to hit all of these different types of people with, here's exactly how to network, right? Mm -hmm. To take that even further, a lot of these people, like the faculties and stuff, while we're very fortunate out here in Burbank and some pockets of the country, there's former professionals that have moved to into teaching roles. So they have kind of have their pulse on the current state of the industry. But most, considering how many art schools there are, the majority of professors don't have their finger on the pulse of trying to get into the industry now. So not only are they not able to hit everybody's different needs for what their personality is like, but now also they don't know exactly how to network effectively with people in the industry because they are not up on the like, 
giving dated advice, I feel like comes up a lot when I'm talking with people at conventions, like if I'm tabling somewhere or if they come to my workshops and stuff and they're like, well, I heard this, this and this. I'm like, who told you that? (laughs) And it was somebody who, you know, is tenured at a university. Again, not their fault. And I think there are, especially the ones that really care, there are some professors who really probe their former students to find out what's going on out there so they can leach that information and hand it down. But now you're getting this kind of carbon copy or this sloppy secondhand, not as clear as if they had gone through it themselves mm-hmm. type of information that they're passing on to somebody else. So it, it gets very tricky and young students are very, um, they don't listen very well. <laughs> so like what they think they hear is not what they actually were told. And so they kind of misconstrue things and the weeds get very thick very quickly. So I understand why schools are, they don't dump all of their time into that because guess what? They still have to teach the hard skills, right? Not just the soft skills. Most students are there for the hard skills. Teach me how to paint digitally better, mm-hmm. right? That's what they want. That's what they're paying thousands and thousands of dollars for. But if a school asked me to teach, you know, like business in the animation industry or some arts business, like I would totally do it because I know exactly what these people need to get into the industry more effectively, hopefully. You know, does yeah. some things don't work for everybody. Some people find out that they aren't cut out to make it all the way, which is okay. But that's one thing I think is missing from that school experience. Mm-hmm. Speaking of teaching, are you going to continue with your mentorships? <laughs> no. So what Jeff is talking about is you took one of my mentorships that I offered, mm-hmm. which was a storyboard mentorship. I was very reluctant to do any kind of like really hard, when I say hard, I mean hard skills type workshop. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you remember, one of the first students was the reason I did it because he convinced me to do it. And it was great. It worked out well. People got work from it. It went really well. So I did it a second time, did it a third time, you know, and people always seemed very happy with it. Mm -hmm. But with the closing of the animation network, everything is going away as far as what's available Mm-hmm. except the podcast. The podcast will still be up on the internet, but the newsletter is going away. The YouTube channel, I mean, the YouTube channel will stay up so people can still find the videos, but all the services, which what you're talking about falls under that category. So like all the services we did, portfolio reviews, resume and cover letter, sprucing, the storyboard mentorship, any other workshops we did, which I did a lot of soft skill. Like I did this one called Breaking Into Animation, which was it always blew people's mind and people who took it could hopefully they would back this up. But I didn't show a single piece of artwork in the breaking into animation workshop. And they were like, what? Like the first, when we first started, <laughs> the first sentence I said, like I say, you'll notice there's no projector here. There's, there's not going to be a slideshow. We're not going to talk about art. And people were like, how are you going to tell me how to get an animation? We're not even going to talk about art. And after that four hours, people were like, Thick pages and pages of notes where they're like, I've never heard any of this stuff. Mm, Never heard any of this stuff. Nobody's ever told me, which because they don't teach it in school, they don't have time or whatever. Also, I don't want to get too far down this road, but like it's very hard to get concise, usable information from people because not everybody is cut out to teach and share information. Just because somebody's good at something doesn't mean they can teach it well, Mm. right? Like they may be able to paint like the wind, but Mm -hmm. having somebody else imitate or mimic your process or whatever, just accurately is a whole different monster than just doing it yourself. Right. So those kind of workshops that I used to do while they were extremely, I mean, people, again, people told me I got this job. I got this internship Mm -hmm. because of your workshop. Yeah, I got a couple jobs. Yeah, dude. From the stuff we worked on. That's amazing. That's great, man. And that is all very rewarding, but... 
I just won't have the time moving forward. So all that's being closed down. But there may be a couple surprises coming up that um, I can't talk about yet. But for the people who have already written beautiful emails saying that they feel a very big loss coming on by this shutting down, which I, I can never get over those messages are just so flattering but there is something in the works that will make them feel better i think yeah. it would make me feel better <laughs> yeah. are you feeling an emotional weight i know you still have a few episodes before it shuts down but can yeah. you feel just how important this podcast has been <laughs> to so many people and do you have an emotional attachment to it yeah i think so this week was episode 95 out of like angela said 100 so that light is getting brighter and brighter yeah. at the end of the tunnel i see it and i'm like sprinting full force not because i this answers your question mm-hmm. i'm sprinting full force toward the end of that tunnel not because i won't miss it not because i'm not attached to it or any of that stuff but just because i'm so excited for what's coming up next and that i think is the healthiest way to leave something right mm-hmm. so that's a backwards way of answering your question the front word the front the way to answer it from the head on front way mm-hmm. whatever <laughs> is to say absolutely i mean i created it not thinking it would do anything right like my idea was i'm gonna do like five maybe ten episodes if it's doing really well if you know a couple people listen to it i can probably get up to 10 just as an experiment that's one thing i could not project was where i would be now and how what it would have done for me and what it would do for other people and Mm -hmm. you know i knew what i wanted in my head and in my heart i knew what i wanted to create but as any creative will tell you like just because you can think it and feel it doesn't mean it's going to come out necessarily that way Mm -hmm. and furthermore it doesn't mean that people will receive it the way that you intended it to come out So to this day, and I know this is inviting trolls, but I'm going to say it anyway. (laughs) To this day, after years of doing this, not a single negative review, either privately through any platform or forum, nor on any iTunes review, five stars, every like just glorious reviews that people put up there. I mean, I'm waiting for it. Like I'm waiting for the day somebody's (laughs) like, bullshit. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I tried that and it didn't work. Never had that. Never had it. And I'm waiting for it because, you know, those people are out there and whatever. But our audience, the TAN audience, is so respectful and eager and not just art students. But I get stopped by professionals who are like, oh, are you the guy that does that podcast? Or, oh, I listen to it. I'll go to a studio that either I haven't been in in a long time or sometimes ever. And people are like, oh, yeah, Chris, we're really I'm shaking people's hands and they're like, oh, you're the guy does that podcast blah blah blah. and i'm like you've been in this industry for like 30 years why are you even listening um and they're just because they're so intrigued by you know the information on there and how it's delivered and all that kind of thing so to know that i created something like that is Mm -hmm. beyond words that further is the reason why now's time to leave right you don't wait till crash and burn and then everybody's like thank god that they put that thing away you know like I don't want to be that product. I rather know that I did, I mean, a hundred episodes and several editions of the newsletter and multiple yeah. videos on the YouTube channel. I mean, yeah. a lot of work. Yeah. And that's aside from all the services. I feel like we did a great job. Everybody benefited from it, both in front of and behind the mic. Yeah, it's just, I do feel a little bit of a, while there is a weight being lifted off, mm-hmm. there is a sadness that comes with it because like you know i made something and as my wife keeps pointing out to me (laughs) uh gotta love wives uh as as she keeps pointing out to me she's like you finished this how many creative people have these grand ideas to do something 
and either A, never get it off the ground, right? That's the easiest thing. Just talk, talk, talk. B, run it into the ground Mm -hmm. because they make a lot of missteps and maybe get the wrong people attached to their project or they try to go too far too fast. I mean, all kinds of reasons why you can crash and burn. Or C, just don't finish it, right? Mm -hmm. Just because you lose personal interest in Steam and all that stuff. And that happens to all of us, to everybody. But this, I started it with an idea, with a vision. I did it for years, plural, and finished it the way I wanted to. And I'm talking like it's already over, but because it's not, I will finish it the way I want to. And everybody is nurturing about it and excited, like asking these great questions about how I feel about it and what's next and all this kind of stuff. So Mm -hmm. it is sad and exciting at the same time. You got to leave before you become the villain to paraphrase one of your favorite heroes. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yep. Yep, live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Um, There's another one too that, uh, oh, I always think of, I mean, that's a great reference, by the way. But I always think of the um, the Seinfeld episode where George finds out that he has to like cut off end his jokes on the highest note because he always goes one joke too far right. and he just tanks and everybody's like, he just kills the room. Yeah. So he finds out, he's like, that's it for me. And he always just like runs out like, that, that's it, that's the joke. Um, and I feel like this is exactly that where I'm like, okay, everybody's still smiling. Let me hurry up and get out of here before... I accidentally say the wrong thing or that one troll does find me and they're like, oh, I'm going to bring this guy down a peg or two. Yeah, like he thinks he's all great. Watch this. But yeah, so that's kind of my thought on it. Going out on a high note. Yeah. That is very good. So let's then shift gears a little bit. So I'm curious just about you as an artist and how you've grown as an artist. Because now you've been in the industry for over 10 years and you've learned a lot. You've done a lot of boards for a lot of really great shows. Yeah. So I'm just really curious, how has your mindset changed as an artist from when you first started to now? It's a good question. You know, part of me feels like, so on the day-to-day, I feel like my mindset has not changed at all. I feel like the same plucky, you know, bright and eager, like ready to do this kind of guy who's still begging for his first shot. But when I step back and I look at the bigger picture, I can absolutely see how I've grown. And a lot of that comes with taking big risks, but also having fantastic mentors. I'm such an advocate for mentors, which is the tone of the entire animation network structure. But just in terms of like the skills themselves, I feel like I can absolutely see that I have a much more confident line when I draw things because I know exactly what I want. I mean, I think I even had tweeted about this, like not anytime recently, but actually no, and I did. I always make these jokes about like, you know, when you have that great day of drawing where just every line you put down, it's like Mickey's magic paintbrush. It's just (laughs) magical art comes out and you're like, who is this person drawing? Like, I don't even know. And I feel like I can recognize when that happens or when I break a plateau, that still happens if you are an artist who is always searching for growth. I don't think I'll ever be one of those artists that are satisfied where I'm like, nope, this is it. I'm comfortable. Like I've made it. I've already been accepted by the industry, first of all. Secondly, like I don't think I can get any better. I've mastered my style or the style that I like the best and they stay there. I don't think I would ever be that person because I never feel like my art is good enough. And so that mentality, I think over the last 10 years has helped me keep growing and keep learning about myself and and about the craft. And I always try to remember that the craft is its own thing that needs attention. 
I think people get blindsided, especially today. And please cut me off if this heads down the wrong road. But I feel like people get so blindsided by how many likes is this going to get? If I draw Spider-Man, because I saw whoever, Scotty Young, do this rad Spider-Man, which, I mean, everything he's going to draw is going to be awesome. But if I can do that, maybe this time I'll get double digit likes or maybe I'll get triple digits for the first time. Maybe this will be that drawing. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about your Spider-Man, right? I think if you remember that I mean, fine, if you want to do it for the likes, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But what I'm saying is I feel like I try to be mindful of it's not about that. For me, it's about the craft. Like, why am I even going to draw this Spider-Man? It's because I want to do better. I want to push myself. Let me try to draw it in somebody else's style to see how that's going to influence. Maybe that person draws amazing crotches. So this Spider-Man is going to have the best crotch ever, right? Like, I don't know, you know, whatever it's going to be. But I think being mindful of that is absolutely a way to get better as you progress rather than like that gratification that comes with getting lots of likes. I mean, we all understand why people do it, right? Mm -hmm. That's why people do fan art. It's, oh, because I love the show. No, you don't. I mean, we all love the show, but you're doing the fan art to get people's attention. And that's actually a very effective way to do it, right? I mean, some really prominent designers do that too, so that people will then come back to look at their original art. But people are just doing it to get that extra favorite or that extra like or that extra retweet, share, whatever it's going to be. So that I think helps me to keep on that track of growing. That's good. And then I don't even know if there's a segue for this question or not, but (laughs) while you were talking- Just give it to me cold. Okay. Yeah. How do you keep from being bitter? I ask this because- you're bitter. Since I'm, I am not bitter. <laughs> <laughs> okay. well, that'd be my well, first Well, actually, <laughs> let's see. Sometimes I do get bitter. Yeah. But I've noticed that there tends to be this shift where I meet interns and other PAs and people just starting out. And they're super, super excited. And then I'll go to parties and whatnot and I'll meet older people. <laughs> And they're just like complaining the entire time. And I'm looking at it going, is that what happens? Why is this happening? And so you've seen a lot. You know, you've worked on really great shows. You've worked on shows that behind the scenes were a mess. You've worked, I mean, we <laughs> yeah, don't have to Yeah, you must have heard with. the stories. Yeah, you've told me some stories. <laughs> I did? And I, and, yeah. Oh, and I've, well, that's okay. I yeah. won't share which story. But I have too. I mean, I used to work in reality TV. That whole industry mm, was a mess. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. how do you keep a source like, it's about the craft and what I want to do and what I love about it and not, oh my God, I, I can't with this anymore. This answer may shock you. Okay. You can't. You can't get away from it. So the better idea is to embrace it and know you're going to have bad days, to know you're going to work on crappy shows, to know you're going to get notes that make no sense at all. And then you'll fix the thing based on the note and they'll say, eh, go back to the other thing that you already drew after you now wasted three days. You can't get around the bitterness and the jadedness. So instead of that, find, pick your times to vent properly, not on Twitter or wherever. (laughs) Vent to the right people, the people who are going to understand you and where you're coming from, not the people who are going to judge you because they don't know what that is, right? Like, I know you've heard this before. Some people have this weird brag rant where it's like they're ranting about how hard their awesome job is, right? And like, you're like, what are you saying here? Like, it's this weird convoluted thing where they're like, 
they're ranting to somebody. I mean, this is going to sound weird, but stick with me. But trying to rant to somebody who's less experienced than you about how hard your awesome job is just makes you sound like a douche, right? And you know, you've heard these stories from people where you're like, is this, are you ranting or are you bragging here? Mm-hmm. Um, so whenever I have those inescapable feelings that, that they're going to happen to you, I don't care how long or short you're in the industry, it's going to happen. I always do it with people who either also work on the show or director somebody who's higher than me who's going to understand my frustrations and I try to make it I try to not have it come from a poisonous place but rather a place that's just either true confusion like I don't understand why is it this way when I was told earlier it was going to be this way for you know like maybe some rule in the show that's changed when oh shoot we forgot to tell all the board artists we had this meeting just the directors or whoever and you know the execs want to see it go this direction so now we got to finagle the writing and blah 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 so that it comes and trickles down to me and the rest of the board team finally and they're like oh it's a lack of communication rather than me being like these guys don't know what they're doing this is terrible blah 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 and i hate you know flipping tables over and (laughs) whatever else throwing scripts in the air so trying to understand the bigger picture trying to know that i can't escape those things and so that i can channel them or i guess more like funnel them properly into the right pockets of time with the right audience and that kind of stuff because you asked me what was exactly your question how do i keep from being bitter Mm -hmm. because you don't know that i get bitter i do like so that means i'm doing it right because you didn't know that (laughs) um you know and what a great platform my podcast to just sit and rant to people across the entire world like people write in emails from countries and this isn't racist that i don't even know speak english right Mm -hmm. i i don't know that let me put it this way i don't know that they speak english fluently enough to follow an obscure animation podcast with giant industry terms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's fair to say, right? That's fair. Okay. Enough. Okay. So when I keep in mind that I have this global audience, it would be easy to be like, let me tell you about the latest disaster, friends, about, you know, the industry and this show I work on. But that is terrible, right? Like mm-hmm. that's not going to help anybody. Some people will say, well, that tells us what to look out for, what to, you know, what to be mindful of. Or what. Mm-hmm. Nah, that's just poisonous. Like if I'm going to do it better, I'm going to warn you in a much more constructive and mindful way that everybody can understand what the issue is and why it is that way and then offer a solution that's always the worst thing too right Mm -hmm. people being bitter with no solution Mm -hmm. so i don't try to avoid being jaded and bitter i just be mindful of handling it properly that's really good to know and you're right about offering a solution because you did that the other day, actually, with the last I did? AMA. Yeah, because oh, you were talking about, hey, things that storyboard artists should look out for in terms of like unions and non-unions mm. and like mm-hmm. the level of work and the amount of work and what is considered standard and what's starting to happen to people. And you were, I thought you handled it very well. Of, you need to look out for this. You need to speak up about this, but not in a, we're going to go storm the castle yeah, kind exactly. of way. Just be mindful yeah. that this is a thing. Yeah. You know, don't be caught unaware. Yeah, that's. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening to the episode and, mm-hmm. um, and I like those a lot. Yeah, me too. Yeah, thank I've, you. I've written in with questions too, and it's always like you did. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. uh, Brianna, there's a long thread of like, let's talk about production because that doesn't really get talked about a lot. So let's discuss. Exactly. So yeah, I mean, you asked a great question earlier about what that they teach in school, and they don't teach production, and mm-hmm. largely, again, they have to focus on the skill set but also because every studio runs differently. Mm -hmm. So their solution to that is let's have you form teams and you create a film together because now you have to create a pipeline. Now you have to create management and structure and 
who's got the final say on what and who's, you know, the workhorse of the group and, you know, whatever the, the case is going to be. But yeah, offering a solution is critical, I think. I know you go on hikes and runs, marathons, all that stuff. <laughs> half, half marathons, uh, half but marathons. yes. <laughs> yeah. More than I can do. I was going to say, more than me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Is that part of your process to kind of de-stress? And... Ooh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, no, no, it's not actually. Because <laughs> I, I find that I do those things because they help me think more clearly. Mm. Some of my best creativity is when I'm moving, like physiologically, blood is pumping, oxygen's coming in, going out. Like that kind of stuff fosters better creativity, which gives you better results, which creates better product, all this kind of stuff. And I, yes, I use that filthy word for art product. It's true. But yeah, I mean, it does make me feel better. It does keep me in better health and in shape, which in turn lowers stress, right? Because I'm not constantly having to draw at my desk through back pains or migraines or just feeling sleepy and lethargic. When I've had a terrible week of eating, because I don't always eat properly, but when I don't eat properly, I absolutely feel it when I'm trying to draw. And speaking of the AMA episodes, I remember somebody asked like, what kind of snacks do you eat? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I was like, yes. Because the studios are filled with candy. Yeah, because they want you to stay wired and have that like, you know. Someone brought in a chocolate cake today and I was so Oh, wow. It looked delicious. I'm like, no. It was two days ago. I decided, I'm going to eat less sugar. So that's the day, oh, of course. Of course. bring in a cake. I'm yeah. like, that's not There's always good. something to celebrate. Yeah, yeah. So they always bring in mm-hmm. garbage to eat. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, having those better alternatives. Like, I think all of that contributes to stress management and better productivity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just surprised at how well you've managed to stay in shape. Because oh, wow, as thanks. soon as I started doing freelance work, I think I've gained about... 10, 15 pounds. Yeah, yeah. It's hard. Yeah, it's very hard. I mean, they say, you know, sitting is the new smoking, right? Like, it's killing people. It's creating heart disease and all Mm -hmm. this kind of stuff. And I don't want that. Right. So I get up. (laughs) I mean, it's not to make this a commercial, but having my Apple Watch is Mm -hmm. very, um, yeah, yeah, you have one too there. It's um, very helpful on that front. But also... It helps that I have been an active person my whole life. Mm -hmm. Some people have never been an active person. They've never touched a ball of any sport of any kind in their lives. And that's okay. But then you need to figure out something. You need to figure out something. Like I remember I interviewed, I think it was Rob Busab who said that he just drinks a ton of water all day. So he has to get up to go use the bathroom. Because literally, and you know, you have an Apple Watch. You only have to stand up one time an hour. Just stand up one time an hour. That's it. But people get in the zone and they've got deadlines and they're trying to crank out this thing. And oh, if I could just get this done before lunch. So they sit there for three hours straight, Mm -hmm. which is not only bad for you, you know, gaining weight and all this kind of crap, but also for your vision. It's bad for you. Also, you're going to get drained. You're sitting in front of that warm, glowing Cintiq drains you. So Mm -hmm. you're going to make more mistakes. So it is absolutely beneficial to get up and do something. So even now, because I'm on the DreamWorks campus now, the main feature lot, they have these really great walking paths and I created one that wasn't good enough so I created a second loop which was a little bit longer and I'm like this isn't long enough so I created a third one and I'm like this is the length it should be and I do that loop two times and for all the Apple Watch users it gives me like almost a quarter of my move ring in that one 
20 minute walk, which you should be taking like those kind of breaks. I mean, I'm one of those people where I'm never at my desk. So that helps mm. me stay, <laughs> stay uh, non-heart disease-y. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I'm too social for that. Like I have to get up and move around. Like I can only concentrate on a piece of art for like 20 minutes at my top notch. And then it starts to deteriorate from there. Mm-hmm. So at like 35 minutes, I'm like, you won't find me. Most people, they have to text me to come back to my debt. Like they can't find me. So they're like, where are you? Come back. We have this meeting or whatever. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I mean, if you have to just talk to more people Mm -hmm. to get yourself up more, do that. You know, if you're doing freelance at home, like create some walk in your neighborhood that you can do, even though you don't have a dog. Like people, especially now, especially in L.A., people aren't going to look at you weird because they understand, like, got to get those steps in, whether it's your Apple Watch or Fitbit or whatever. Yeah. My exercise ring, I keep lowering the parameters just so I can can complete it. It's bad. Weren't you at one time entertaining the thought of making kind of a guide for stretching, exercising? I was hoping you wouldn't remember that. (laughs) artist yeah because yeah. i'm still waiting on that because <laughs> i would totally buy that i know i was gonna make a little okay so it started with that little doodle i put on like twitter or something mm-hmm. that went like mini viral yeah yeah, yeah the uh, uh, yeah. hand stretches which feels amazing right like right. when you do it properly and um i'll give you a free lesson after this okay um but yeah, I tweeted that and people were like favoriting and retweeting off the mm. charts. And I'm like, really? And it, it wasn't even a good drawing. It was a crappy doodle, right? But it got the point across and people were doing this little hand stretch that I learned from a chiropractor. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, do you want more of this stuff here? Free free knowledge. And people were like, yeah, like yourself. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll make just a little pamphlet of five to seven stretches that you can and should do mm-hmm. in your cube. You don't even have to go outside. Nobody will see you. And again, nobody cares. Most people are gonna be like, hey, what is that? Show me what you're doing because people are tired of aches and pains and feeling lethargic. So yeah, I did say that (laughs) once upon a time. And maybe I can still, because it's not hard. It's just time, right? It's just having time. So (laughs) I would like to still do it and maybe I'll try to fit it in there because that would be something that that would be awesome to give to the animation community. It's just art community in general. Mm that obviously nobody else is doing yet yeah so remind me again in another (laughs) another 18 months or however long it's been yeah when you have like crick in your neck and you're walking sideways Uh you're like hey you said (laughs) i blame you you blame other people all your problems it's no good so i want to talk about dreamworks because now you're working in feature so i'm very interested in hearing how is television and feature different like what are some of the differences that you've seen uh okay so a couple caveats i'm on the dreamworks campus but i'm working on a universal animation movie because You know, the whole, all the mergers and buyouts and everybody owns everybody now. So NBC Universal for their animation department shares with the DreamWorks campus. So I don't work for DreamWorks feature. Okay, so that's out of the way. The second caveat to that is I'm working on a direct-to-video feature, which means it's a sequel in a very, very popular franchise. Not Land Before Time, 37. <laughs> but um, it's a very, very cute movie. I don't think it's been announced yet, so I don't think I can say it. Uh, yeah, so... And I noticed you didn't ask, which I appreciate. So I just want to make sure that, you know, I'm not going to work on the next Frozen. It is 2D, which is great. Um, Yeah, so it'll be nice to see my drawings exactly translated into animation, which is one of the things I love about TV. So here comes my hybrid of answering your second question as well. So the difference between the two is this is the first feature I've ever worked on. So my experience there is very limited. But having worked in TV for 10 years now, the pace is so much faster in TV, so much faster, which I love. 
right? Especially for a guy who can't stay at his desk for more than 20 minutes. I love, gotta get done, gotta move on. With this particular movie, and from what I understand of other people working in feature, you get so much more time to really explore, examine, cross-examine, break down and rebuild up, dissect that, and then maybe somehow come out with a movie at the end of that. I don't have the patience for that. And I always kind of had that assumption. So I always knew I wanted to be in TV. Coming to feature now and living this very limited experience that I'm living, I was right. I don't really favor it. I I much prefer TV and I can't wait to go back to TV. And it's not that I left TV, it's that my show ended. I needed to find my next thing. And the movie I was freelancing on, they're like, hey, come in house. We need you to come in and help do some more stuff. And I was like, all right, well, I don't have a job. Like, this is perfect. Like, this is what you do in the industry to survive. So it was not by my exactly my choosing. It was being able to. I should also mention that one of the executive producers of the feature is responsible for bringing me in. And I've never worked directly with her. I've only worked adjacent to or by recommendation. So having the chance to work with her finally has been as awesome as I hoped it would be. And so we were both really excited for the opportunity to work together. And that, as you know, having a very positive crew and and people that you love to work with because you got to see them more than you see your own family right you got to like these people and that has been fantastic like that's my favorite part of being and the free lunches but being there is it's cool the movie's gonna be cute i have no problem doing it they like the work i'm churning out like that's great too i haven't had to struggle to like catch up or learning curve none of that stuff it's like you draw something and they're like boom nailed it and even though it gets notes because that's part of the process, they're happy with what you give them because they've hired you for what you do. So that's really encouraging and a nice change from working on other stuff where they're like, but do it more like this because, you know, it's got to be this some specific certain thing. It's, it gets really convoluted sometimes. But yeah, so working on features is great, but I can't wait to go back to TV. That's where my heart is. Yeah. Going back to first love there. Yeah. Yeah, and speaking of, too, you talked about, you know, you've worked on a lot of different projects, you worked on a lot of different shows, you know, you started and you guys are going to be finishing a podcast. Yeah. What advice do you have for people to start and actually finish a project successfully and not dig it into the ground and not just... Crash and burn, yeah, yeah, up and quit, yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. To start a project, I'll give the same advice I told you at Ground Zero, I think it was, right? Mm -hmm. Just do it. If you wait for it to be perfect, it's never going to come out. Like it's never going to happen because it never will be perfect. But I think everybody hears that. Everybody knows that. That's not a secret, right? I think the bigger secret, which I think I also told you, is having anything as rough as it is, is already such a right step in the right direction because people will then have a chance to grow with you and with the project and fall in love with it. Especially these days, like everybody loves grassroots stuff, right? It doesn't matter. You could create whatever and Harry's the razors, you know, it's like these two uh guys who are like, we want to make better razors. And everybody's like, yeah, we should have better razors that are cheaper and whatever. And they started nowhere. And now, so yeah, just start it. Let it be rough because then you have a chance to also sculpt something out of it. If you go in with this thing that's supposed to be a statue of David already carved in marble, there's no room for it to grow. There's no room for it to do anything. And I think that's also why people get bored of their own material because they're like, I feel like it's already done the thing that it's whatever. And so they kind of self-sabotage their projects. But I think that's always the best advice to get started on anything is just make it and put it out there. Some people will love it. Some people will absolutely hate it. And just remember that you're making it for the people who love it. 
and I can, this is literally an entire separate, not just episode, but a whole separate podcast that we could start about creating and making and starting and ending projects. But to end a project, I think it's trying to have that foresight of, did I do the job I came to do? Whatever it is, doesn't have to be a podcast. It could be like just creating a piece for a gallery that's coming up, you know, whatever. Did I get the message across? Did I, not just did I get the message across, did I get the message across to the one audience member I was trying to communicate this idea to? That's so important. People want to make, again, everybody wants that high likes, high stars, you know, high ratings, whatever. So they try to make this massive thing that's going to reach everybody. Don't do it for everybody because you're not going to be able to hit everybody. And it's like building a house of cards. It's going to be super flimsy. People are going to poke holes in it. It's not going to be great. But if you have something that is condensed and restricted to somebody that you're talking to, it's going to instantly be better and it's going to feel more cohesive. It's going to feel like it has a vision, like it's got real effort and foresight behind it and not that everything is an afterthought of like, oh, you know, this would be cool. Let's add this. And, you know, and then you have this weird soup of whatever. So back to the point I was trying to make, if you are trying to keep all that in mind, it's going to be easier to know when it's time to end something because you'll know did I hit that thing. And if not, keep going. And if you did, it's okay to step away, right? That's the other thing too is not being afraid to put something down. People are so afraid to end a project. Sometimes as much as they are afraid to start a project, I guess. I don't know. Does that answer your question? That does answer my question. Mm -hmm. I was just curious because a lot of, you know, myself included, but I also know a lot of people that they want to start a lot of things or they're in the middle of something they're kind of going through and they're like, how do I actually effectively make sure this ends and it doesn't just pewter out into nothing? That's a very valid question. I'm glad you asked. I wish I had the pinnacle answer for that, but I'm still working on that myself. And maybe some people don't agree with my method of how to George Costanza my way out of this thing. So (laughs) I guess do what works for you. But I feel like everybody hears that sentiment, right? Just got to do it works mm-hmm. for you but i don't know if i entirely subscribe to that but it works for a lot of people i guess which is why it's a cliche yeah i think the issue is people don't actually know what works for them so they might hear that and it is true it's like yes you should do what works for you but if you've never really examined what works for you then you're like i don't know what that is and then you kind of freak out that's very fair and at the risk of overtaking your podcast i don't want to go too far down that road because <laughs> i have thoughts about that i mean so for those who have never seen any of the animation network service Services. One of the ones that we provide is a 30-minute mentorship. And with that idea, you essentially buy a little half-hour block of time where we do a Skype call with that person. We do it for 30 minutes. And the whole thing is people are like, great, so I bought this package. What do we do? And I say, well, I walk them through the email beforehand, but I have them jot down all of their questions that they want to ask in preparation for the 30-minute block of time. So we don't just get in there and they talk about, so what was it like to work on SpongeBob SquarePants or whatever? because that's easy to talk about that for too long and then they their half hour gets eaten up so rather I have them write out all their questions and all this kind of thing and then when we talk about it it's almost like a career counseling session because I hear what's wrong I hear what their problem is I hear where they're making their missteps or their wrong turns and because like you said I've seen so much of it and by the way slight footnote for people listening I am not a phenomenal artist I never have been I don't think I am now but being one of these non-prodigies has helped me learn so much more than the people who roll out of bed who are just amazing gifted artists which I wish I could be one of them get 1200 likes on a little stupid paper bag doodle or something (laughs) you know the type Mm -hmm. but because I had to do this long hard road I got to learn firsthand so many ways to do things right and how to do things wrong which is why I was able to create a four-hour workshop on how to break into the industry with artwork aside 
not even worrying about the artwork, right? The artwork's the artwork. I know, you wish you could take that workshop, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, back to the real point. The point is, talking to these people, you do hear these insecurities that you're laying out there, which are super valid, really good points. So I wish I could go into those because I do have ideas about them. But yeah, I don't want to talk here for all of your <laughs> scheduled time. <laughs> Sorry, this is one of the reasons I like talking to you because I like talking with you about these types of things because it goes beyond art and art is very important, but it really just digs deep into just the psychology of people and how people think and feel and that affects everything. It affects who you talk to, why you talk to them, why you do the art that you do, why you go for the jobs that you're going for, why you're not going for the jobs, why you're doing certain portfolio, why you're drawing certain things. It's all tied into that and I feel yeah. like if people, myself included if you examine that first mm -hmm. whatever your output is is going to if not better at least be more real to who you are as a person rather yeah. than just i'm just going to draw this thing because it's the popular thing and then everyone will like me and then i'll get hired it's like or be like maybe else. yeah I mean, maybe it'll work <laughs> yeah maybe. it might but even if you get hired to do that you might hate it that's because there are people true. that do that and then they're like wait i'm miserable now but now i have to do this yeah because yeah. now i have a house and a family and kids and they all need braces you know yeah i mean that's a really good point i mean i don't know as i hear you talk about it it makes me feel like art is only 70 percent of that battle right mm -hmm. which leaves another 30 percent. and what is that it's all this like we talked about earlier it's all the soft skills and how do you effectively network especially if you are an introvert and what exactly do you put on your resume and cover letter especially if you don't have if you have zero experience, what do you do? Mm -hmm. Which we have answers to all that stuff. But if you're only worried about the art, then you're only worried about 70%. And 70% on a test is average, mm -hmm. almost mm -hmm. below average, right? And that's why the people who just work on being a good artist create great artwork, but maybe are having a hard time getting in the industry and they don't know why. You know, I'm drawing all the Harry Potter fan art I can. <laughs> well, okay, that's great, you know, and you'll probably sell a lot of prints, mm -hmm. especially at conventions and whatnot. But if your goal is to be in animation, that's not the job. And then that's not how to communicate that you want that job. So yeah, I agree with you. So then finally here, what does the future hold for you, Chris? Now that you know you're wrapping things up, and I know mm -hmm. that some of it you're going to save for your own podcast, which is great, and other things we'll find out later, but is there anything you can tell us about your future? And where you <laughs> anything I can tell, yes. One day I plan to be 47. Today I'm 33, so... <laughs> That's one thing in the future. Like I said, there will be things that we'll talk about later on my podcast about what we're doing next for some of us. And I can say that none of the decisions I've made to leave the animation network, or not leave it because it's not going to continue without me. One of the reasons I'm going to be shutting it down is because for all positive reasons, everything, there's not one negative thing. Thing that's going on that's like okay you know what that's it we're done I'm not gonna do this anymore which is a remarkable feeling to have to know that you created something that people love on that side of the podcast and behind the podcast that we all are great friends you know we have great lunches together and everything is just it's awesome but moving forward first of all I don't want to talk about what other people are doing like mm -hmm. Tierra, Jeff you know that's for them to talk about mm -hmm. and they will but for me I want to create more stuff so there is something coming up that will be taking the place of the bear that is the animation network. It's not going to be a gaping hole. It will be filled with something 
something new that I'm making that I'm just as excited about and already very proud of. So I can't wait to share that kind of stuff. But that is why I'm putting down the podcast because it takes up so much time. I mean, even having a team because you still have to lead the team. You still have to like hand out assignments. You still have to check people's work. You still have to run. Essentially, it turned into a business. So run the whole thing like it still eats up a lot of time. So yeah, I had to put that stuff down. But I'm not disappearing. I mean, people still be able to find me on Twitter and Instagram or normal places. I'm not a great Facebook person. So please don't add me on Facebook. If you are one of the people and I know they're out there. If you're one of the people that added me on Facebook and it seems like I ignored your request, it's because it's still sitting in the box blinking. <laughs> I don't go on Facebook unless there's some kind of family thing that I need to talk about with family people. And anybody that I added on there before is back when I had more time to be on Facebook and before it was a super diseased place to be. But other platforms, I'll be around to chat with people and stuff like that. I just won't be handing out buckets of advice because um, there are other great people like you to do that stuff. So, yeah. Thank you. Well, Chris, it has been an absolute delight having you on the show. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time. And thank you to your team for everything you've created. I mean, you've inspired us. You've inspired all the people out there. So just thank you so much. And we look forward to hearing about all of your future endeavors. That's very nice. Thank you. Thank you both. And that concludes our interview with Chris Wimberly. Special thanks to Chris for being a wonderful guest, and make sure to check out his links in the show notes. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on iTunes. All of your reviews help more and more people to find out about the show. And you can also support the show by visiting www.theanimatedjourney.com and clicking on the PayPal donation button on the right-hand side. All of your donations go directly to paying for the technical costs associated with producing the show and thank you so much to everyone who has donated to the show thus far we truly appreciate it and to see what else is going on in the wonderful world of animation make sure to check out the facebook page at facebook.com slash the animated journey on tumblr the site is the animatedjourney.tumblr.com and on instagram and twitter the handle is at animjourney And you can check out all of Jeff's work by visiting www.jeffbot.com. That's J-E-F-B-O-T. On Tumblr, the site is jeffbot.tumblr.com. On Twitter, it's at jeffbot. And on Instagram, the handle is at shootsie. And that's spelled S-H-O-O-T-Z-E-E. And to see what I've been up to lately, you can visit my website at sketchysoul.com. On Tumblr, the handle is sketchysoul.tumblr.com. And on Instagram and Twitter, the handle is at sketchysoul. So that's it for now, but make sure to tune in next time for another great episode. And until then, be encouraged and have a great day, everybody. Bye.